0: 201. Grab your Bible, if you would, church, and open it to John's Gospel, chapter 11. And um, this morning, we are going to continue the journey we began last week, learning about the promises that God has very specifically made to us about some very specific things. Uh, The Bible says that faith is what pleases God, and it is our faith in His specific promises that he wants to lead us into to grow us into Um, we're also learning in this series that there are some things God has not promised and we need to be able to tell the difference because one of our enemies great strategies is to deceive us into thinking that God has promised something that he hasn't so that then when that promise isn't kept it estranges us from him. We feel like, well, you made me a promise even though he never said any such thing. So we're learning about the promises he has made that he wants us to anchor our souls to and we're learning about the things he has not promised. Uh, This week we're going to take the second step in that journey. And, And let me begin by telling you something that you already know and that is that there are a lot of things I don't understand. Can anybody relate to that feeling? I think we all can. I came across a website this week that was just a long list of of stuff we don't understand. I thought I'd share a few things with you, like, for example, why are there interstate highways in Hawaii? Have you ever thought about that before? I mean, they are. I checked it. There are. They're called interstates. I don't know why there's interstate highways in Hawaii. Uh, Why are there flotation devices under airplane seats instead of parachutes? A really good question. You probably thought about that yourself before. If a cow laughed real hard, would milk come out of her nose? Maybe. I kind of want to find out now. I kind of want to know. Why does your nose run but your feet smell? It's a good question, right? Uh, Why are there self-help groups? Have you ever thought about that before? Self-help groups. Think it through. It'll come to you. Why do you wear a pair of panties but only one bra? Only talking to the ladies there in that moment, so stay with that. (laughs) If pro is the opposite of con, is progress the opposite of Congress? (laughs) It's entirely possible, something to think about. If corn oil comes from corn, where does baby oil come from? Now, there's a profound question to just kind of ponder. Is there another word for thesaurus? The list goes on and on, you know, you can kind of think it through. Lots of things that you and me don't understand are kind of funny. But some aren't. I don't understand why babies die. Maybe you think, well, you're the pastor. You're supposed to understand that. Well, if that's what you're thinking, you don't understand pastor. It's just a fellow human being called to lead. I don't understand why babies die. I don't understand why God miraculously heals sometimes. I've seen it many times. And yet doesn't heal other times. I don't understand why I feel some of the things I feel or why I do some of the things I do. Right along with the Apostle Paul, I I find myself saying I don't understand what I do sometimes. For what I want to do, I don't do. And what I hate seems like I sometimes do. I don't understand those things. I don't understand racism at all. How one human being can look at another human being and think less of them because of the color of their skin. What insanity is that? I don't understand how people can talk themselves into thinking that aborting a baby is anything less than the murder of a helpless unborn child. I don't understand how we can talk ourselves into thinking that's a a good thing. I don't understand how people can think that, you know, getting drunk is fun or cool. And I say that having been on the other side of the fence. I didn't become a Christ follower until I was an adult. I've been over there. I know what it's about. Even then, I didn't think it was fun or cool, although I sometimes pretended. I don't understand gambling. It's too hard to earn the money in the first place. Somebody say amen. And he'll throw it away. I don't understand why God made cats. There's a lot of things that I don't understand. It's more of a personal issue on that one. But seriously, friends, sometimes, and I think I speak for you as well as me, sometimes I don't understand what God is doing. But, but, Even when I don't understand what he's doing, and those moments come, I have come to understand something even more valuable. I've come to understand who he is. And that carries me when I don't understand what he's doing. We're we're learning God's promises. This morning, we're going to hear Jesus make a very specific promise about life and death, about life after life. We're going to hear him make a promise, the same Jesus who said heaven and earth will pass away, but my words won't pass away. We're going to hear him make a promise that we can absolutely count on. But then he's going to offer us something more. And it's the something more that's going to help us when we don't understand Turn to John's gospel, chapter 11, beginning with verse 1, and let's enter a moment filled with a lack of understanding of what God is doing, and let's let's do that together. John chapter 11, beginning with verse 1. Here's what the Bible says. It says, now a man named Lazarus was sick. Not the only Lazarus in scripture, not even the only Lazarus in the gospels, but a man named Lazarus was sick. He was from Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. In fact, he's their brother. He's part of their family. This is the Mary and Martha who we hear so much about. Part of the inner circle, very close to Jesus. And this Mary, whose brother lay sick, was the same one who poured perfume on the Lord and wiped his feet with her hair. This is someone who loves him intimately deeply closely so the sister the sisters sent word to Jesus and said very understandably Lord the one you live love is sick now why are they doing that because they had seen him heal they knew his power they'd seen him in fact raise the dead on more than one occasion prior to this moment they knew he had power to heal Lazarus their brother who was sick and so in their love for, for their brother, they, of course, sent to Jesus, said, Lord, come come and heal. Now, let's take in the context of this moment for a moment. Lazarus' illness, we know ahead of time because we know the end of the story. Lazarus' illness is serious. It's life-threatening. In fact, it's going to take his life before the end of the story. Was it cancer? Maybe. I don't know. Was it tuberculosis or ALS or some kind of killing fever like Ebola or pneumonia. We don't know, but it's like that in that it's going to take his life. His sisters can feel it. So they send to Jesus and they say, hey, come do what you do, please. Come do it for us. And notice also that Lazarus' illness is serious and that these sisters, church, are believers. These are Christ followers. These are faith-filled people. These are, are not the crowd that is indifferent to him or the rebel who is antagonistic to him or the wicked who hate him. These are believers who are asking him to come and heal. If you spend most of your time Ignoring God in your life, you kind of have forfeited the option to blame him or accuse him in moments like this. But Mary and Martha aren't that. Mary and Martha are followers, believers, part of his circle. They're his friends. They're his family of faith. They're like a man who, who said to me recently, he said, Pastor Greg, I don't understand why God hasn't healed my wife. I've seen him heal many times. I've prayed for it and seen it happen. And we've served him all our lives. And now, at this part of our lives, I find myself crying out to him for the healing I know he can do. But he hasn't done it. Mary and Martha are like that. They're people like that. And we also know in this story that Lazarus is very special to Jesus. The sisters in verse 3 call him the one you love. An intimate phrase that speaks of a personal connection that Jesus had with Lazarus. We don't know exactly what that connection was. You know, maybe they both loved reggae music or the same kind of sushi or maybe Lazarus's dad was a carpenter too and Jesus loved him because they shared that experience of building stuff. We don't know what the connection was, but we know it was there. Lazarus is not just a face in the crowd to Jesus. He's a friend. He's more than a friend. He's the one he loves. And and, and we know also, church, that Jesus feels that way about us, that God feels that way about you and me. The Scripture is, is filled with his expression of that reality. The psalmist cries out and. Psalm 139, O God, you knitted me together in my mother's womb, and your eyes beheld my unformed body. And all the days ordained for me were written down in your book before any one of them came to be. God, I'm not a nobody to you. I'm a somebody to you. Jeremiah the prophet uh, cries out under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, God speaking before I formed you in the womb, I knew you even before I formed you in the womb. There's a mystery. Zechariah, the prophet, speaking of Israel, and by extension us, as that grafted-in branch of Israel, expresses how God feels about us when he says to Israel, whoever touches you touches the apple of his eye. He feels about us the way you feel about your kids. You love all kids, but your kids, boy, that's another level. And that's how God feels about us, how Jesus felt about Lazarus. Matthew tells us that even the very hairs of our head are all numbered. Pretty easy in some cases, more of a challenge in others. But think about that. I could say, God, how many hairs are on my head? He'd say, do you want me to count the ones in your nose or ears or just your head? And he knows. Yet for all this, Jesus does something very strange in this moment. Verses 5 and 6 tell us about it. Jesus loved Mary or uh, Martha and her sister Mary and Lazarus yet when he heard that Lazarus was sick he stayed where he was two more days and when we hear that and when that happens to us a question rises up in us why why lord we know your power We know your love. Why are you delaying? We don't understand. A lot of us live inside of that unanswered why. I'll never forget a morning when I was stationed at Camp Pendleton when I was in the Marines and and our unit went out for a run that day and somebody always had to stay behind to answer the phone. It just happened to be me that day. The unit was gone a couple of hours and all of a sudden I got a phone call. The phone call was, hey, we have to find so-and-so. It's emergent. Got to find him right away because his wife just took their infant son to the hospital and the little boy's not breathing. It's an emergency. So, you know, this was before cell phones. You had to actually get in the car and go find somebody. So we sent somebody out to go find him. And and I get a call back a little later. He got to the unit and the guy that I sent called me back and said he's not here. About an hour ago, he collapsed in the middle of the run. They had to rush him to the hospital he's actually already at the emergency room. Long story short, I found out a couple of hours later that the infant child had died of SIDS, Sudden Infant Death Syndrome. Nobody knows why. Dad's kidneys had failed in the middle of the run, and in one morning, a young wife and a young mother became neither. Just like that. She woke up that morning with a husband and a son. By lunch, she had neither. I don't understand why. Anybody who tries to say they know why that happened, they're lying. And you and I feel that. and things like that happened. This is a moment like that. And because of how it feels, look at verse 20. When Martha heard that Jesus was coming, She went out to meet him, but Mary stayed at home. Now, we're going to see what was on Martha's heart as she went to greet him in a moment, but stop and think about Mary. This is the Mary that sat at Jesus' feet while Martha was working in the kitchen. This is the Mary who was all about him. This is the Mary who poured out the perfume a year's wages on his feet and anointed him and who Jesus commended. This is that Mary, and now... She won't even go out to meet him. Those of us who've known great grief and tragedy and loss and things that overwhelm our understanding, we know what she's feeling in this moment. Keep in mind that Mary and Martha had seen the Lord do many miracles before this time. Everybody knew it. Mary and Martha knew it up close and personal. And yet Mary won't go out to meet him. But understand this she feels what she feels church not because she doesn't believe in him but because she does she feels what we she feels because of her faith if she had no faith she'd be indifferent she wouldn't consider him any different than anybody else this moment would not uh, create a challenge to their relationship but she does believe in him that's what makes this moment hard can i just say that faith looks strange sometimes. She's not staying at home because she has no faith. She's staying at home because she does. And because she doesn't understand what's happening in this moment. Now Martha, Martha went out to meet Jesus. She believes in him too. That's why she goes. But she goes with questions burning in her soul. She goes with an inability to understand Why he didn't come. Look at verse 21. Lord, Martha said to Jesus, if you'd been here, my brother would not have died. Can you feel that? Every honest believer will feel this if you haven't already. Every believer is Mary and Martha at one time or another. Most of us will be both. But it's worth thinking about that we feel this kind of hurt precisely because we're full of faith. C.S. Lewis talks about this. He says, When we say to God, if you're good, how could you let this happen? We are actually giving ourselves evidence of our faith. Because if He wasn't good, how would we ever know that what was happening shouldn't be happening? It's our very faith in who He is that causes us to feel that kind of agony that both Mary and Martha are feeling in this moment, into this storm of grief and confusion and hurt and brokenness, Jesus comes with a promise and something more than a promise. I remember about 13 years ago when we first came to serve MRCC, and we were only here a few weeks, and some couple of guys from the church, uh, Ron and Paul, invited me and, and our son Isaiah, who's about 12 at the time, to go uh, deep water fishing for tuna off Westport, 60 miles out, you know, real serious uh, deep water fishing. And when the invitation was given, you know, it was, hey, let's get to know the pastor, get to know us, blah, blah, blah. I was like, yeah, I'm in, and And when they gave me the invitation, I remembered that I had been mildly seasick a few times before that moment, a couple of times when we were practicing amphibious landings offshore in California. One time, we went for a whale watching in San Diego Harbor, and I thought to myself, well, I was a little seasick, but how bad can it be? (laughs) We got on that boat at dusk and headed out to sea, 60 miles out, and I'm telling you, by early morning, I wanted to die. If somebody would said, any volunteers for death, I'd have said, me, I'm I'm up. I'm just, I mean, it's awful. Seasickness is horrific. Uh, You just feel it in your soul. (laughs) All I could do was lay in the center of the boat and groan, you know. My buddies and my son, they felt bad for me, but not bad enough to let it interfere with their fishing, of course, they carried on. To this day, Isaiah remembers that trip as one of the funnest days of his childhood. What can I say? The only thing that helped me in the midst of it was the memory of solid ground. <laughs> and, and it actually works a little bit. You lay there and you think to yourself, oh, yes, I remember what dirt felt like under my feet. Oh, what a glorious feeling. And sometimes I would drag myself out to the rail and, and, and stare real hard. One of the other guys said, try this. And I would stare real hard at the horizon and notice that it wasn't moving, even though everything else was. And that would help a little bit. In the same way, Jesus comes into this moment reminding us of solid ground, that it's there, that we'll return to it. But he also does something more than that. John chapter 11, verse 23 says that Jesus said to, to Martha, who had come to her with that, him with that question, He said to her, your brother will rise again. And Martha answered and said, I know. I know he will rise again at the resurrection at the last day. And it's at this moment that most of us stop as we seek to comfort one another. Remember, there's a resurrection. Remember, we'll rise again. Jesus doesn't stop. Jesus takes it a step further. He says he'll rise again. Martha says, I know. And then Jesus said to her, Martha, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will live even though he dies. There's the promise. That's the promise that God invites us to, to plant our active faith on here and now and every day of our lives. But notice what he says first. Martha, I am the resurrection, and the life. In other words, Jesus doesn't just help Martha remember religious facts. He doesn't just help her remember a spiritual doctrine, a Christian truth. As profound as that is in and of itself, he doesn't stop there. He doesn't only offer that. Instead, he takes her acknowledgement of that religious fact and turns it into something personal. He says, Martha, I am the resurrection and the life. This promise isn't just a a proposition that you nail to the wall in your bathroom so that you can get a warm fuzzy when times are tough. This is more than that. Martha, what's happening here in this moment is coming through me, and you know who I am, even when you don't understand what I'm doing. Jesus knows she doesn't understand why he waited two more days. He knows that. And so what he offers to her is not just the promise, but also he says to her, remember who I am, Martha. You know me. And so look at what I'm doing or not doing in light of what you know of me. And hold on to me even above and beyond the promise. There's a huge difference between holding on to a promise and holding on to a person. Jesus is inviting Martha to hold on to him personally. You know, all parents learn stuff about God from their kids. Have you noticed this? I had no idea that was going to happen. But when we became parents, I was stunned by how many ways and in what profound ways God would speak to me about who he is through our son. He would use him daily to reveal himself to both of us. And I remember one morning, I'll never forget it, when Isaiah was just a toddler, and for whatever reason, I can't get inside of his little toddler head. I don't want to get inside of his adult head. This was his toddler head, and... He just really didn't want me to go to work that day, and it wasn't a little thing to him. He wailed and cried and begged, Daddy, take home. We still say it around our house. Take home today, and he cried, and he clung to my legs, and, you know, I'd sit with him on the couch and say, Son, I got to go to work. I'll be back. I'm coming back, and I tried to hug him, but he was just inconsolable. And in a very real way, God's in that position with us. You know, when I sat there on the couch that morning, every part of me wanted to explain why I had to go to work. And today, Isaiah totally gets it. He actually remembers that day, and we laugh about it. And now he's like, Dad, you got to go to work. It's what you got to do. And you go, for me, he totally gets it. But then he didn't. And no matter how badly I wanted to explain it to him, he couldn't understand it. And sometimes it's like that with us and a Father God. We're just too small. Listen, church, God is doing stuff way beyond our understanding in our lives, around our lives, in our world. And no matter how much he would love us to understand, we're too little now to grasp it. And so Jesus gives us a promise, and then he invites us to hold on to him even when our understanding of what he's doing falters and fails. You know, this is what Job learned. Job lost seven kids, all his kids, lost his wife, lost his health, lost everything. It was overwhelming. He could not understand what God was doing. And it's easy for us to see that story and go, yeah. Yeah. But at the end of Job's story, he's the one who says, what you were doing was too wonderful for me. I get it. I get it. At the end, he's the one who says, it was worth it. Wow. Wow. Jesus comes into this moment and invites us not only to stand on the promise that we all know, but to stand on who we know Him to be when our understanding is overwhelmed. When we stand on His promise about death, trusting Him personally, even when we don't grasp what He's doing, we gain the ability to wait until the promise comes true. Look at verses 38 and following of John chapter 11. The Bible says... Jesus, once more deeply moved, we'll come back to that came to the tomb. It was a cave with a stone laid across the entrance. He said, Take away the stone. Lord, said Martha, the sister of the dead man, by now there's a bad odor. He's been in there a while. Jesus said, Did I not tell you that if you believed, you would see the glory of God? So they took away the stone. Jesus called out in a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. The dead man came out, his hands and feet wrapped with strips of linen, a cloth around his face. Jesus said to them, Take off the grave clothes and let him go. The promise came true. But in between, the promise being made and the promise coming true was stuff that Mary and Martha didn't understand. And so Jesus says, remember who I am. God invites us not only to stand on his promised church, but on his person as revealed in Christ to stand on who we know He is. This is what the apostle John did, and uh, our Peter did in John chapter six. It's a powerful moment. Uh, Jesus says to the crowd. Um, unless you eat my flesh and drink my blood, you can have no part of me. And the crowd said, what are you talking about? And Jesus repeated himself and said, I'm telling you. They, They were ignoring the fact that he'd used parables and figures of speech all the way through his ministry. They were ignoring it in this moment. And he insists on it. He says, I tell you the truth, unless you eat my flesh and drink my blood, you have no part of me. The Bible says that from that time forward, most turned back and no longer followed him. The crowd said, we're out of here. We tend to think Jesus went around permanently popular. Not true. In fact, that very same crowd was going to be screaming for his crucifixion in a short time. But Jesus, in this moment, turns to the disciples. He's got a small group left. He says, are you going to leave too? And Peter gives this epic reply. Peter says, Lord, where are we going to go? We know that you're the Holy One of God. You have the words of eternal life. Where are we going to go? Translation, we don't understand what you're doing either. Eat your flesh, drink your blood. What are you talking about? We have no idea what you're doing right now. But we know who you are. And so we're going to trust that when we don't understand. Peter says, I'm going to trust that when we don't understand. Whenever I see that moment, I think of my grandfather, who was so important to me growing up, the most significant adult male in my life, made all the difference growing up, and yet... When I became a believer, I never knew him to live the life of a believer. I shared the gospel with him. He listened. He assured me that he believed, but I never saw it lived out in his life. And then then he was gone. And there's this part of me that says, where's grandpa going to be someday? And I don't have the answer to it. And if I pretend that I do, I'm just pretending. But here's what I know. I can trust Jesus with my granddad. I can trust who Jesus is with my granddad. All the things I don't understand, I don't understand. But I know Jesus, and I know I can trust him with my granddad. That's what the Lord is inviting Mary and Martha to do in this moment. That's what God invites you and I to do in those moments when what he's doing exceeds our understanding. We're almost done this morning. Notice this. In the middle of all this, there's a moment. It's the shortest verse in the Bible, But this moment helps me so much to trust God personally when I don't know what he's doing. Verse 32 of chapter 11 says that when Mary reached the place where Jesus was, she eventually came out and she saw him, she fell at his feet and said, Lord, if you'd been here, my brother would not have died. It is a poignant, heart-wrenching moment. Remember, her pain is because she does believe in him. Once again, it's not hard to know what she's feeling when she says this. Lots of people feel it. Wrapped up in those few words are all the groaning and grief and confused betrayal that believers wrestle with when we don't understand what God is doing or not doing. And Jesus doesn't answer Mary with a lecture He doesn't teach her. He doesn't rebuke her for her lack of faith. He doesn't pray that she'll feel better. Instead, verse 33 tells us that when Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who had come along with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in spirit and troubled. This is the Son of God. This is God the Son. And yet he is deeply moved and troubled in his spirit. There are lots of people who think God's incapable of being troubled or bothered or aching in this way, but the scripture gives the lie to that notion. Lots of people uh, actually dare to suggest that God can't be troubled. It's a lie. We see him troubled in this moment. And then verse 34, he asked, Where have you laid him? Come and see, they replied. And verse 35 is the shortest in the whole Bible. Jesus wept. If a picture is worth a thousand words, this one is worth a billion. God gets emotional. He breaks down. He gets that hot lump in his throat and that tight fist in his chest that you and me know all about. And then his, his face crumples up and his eyes bleed water and he can't help himself. He cries. He bawls. He blubbers. God does. Think about that. Think about what that reveals about who he is. Lots of us stop it giving doctrinal answers. Someday there'll be a resurrection. Jesus doesn't. He weeps with them. He weeps with us. A friend of mine said to me the other day, I never felt closer to my dad than when I saw him cry as he buried his dog. It was the first and only time I ever saw him cry. Why did he feel closest to his dad in that moment? Because tears tell us something about the one who gives them. And when Jesus says to me, Greg, when you don't understand, remember this is me. Remember who I am. Don't just hold on to my promise. Hold on to who I am. When we are invited to do that, it's above and beyond our understanding. And that is what God invites us to put our faith in as we wrestle through grief or mortality or life after life. Jesus says, trust me. Remember, Greg, I am the resurrection and the life. This is me you're talking about here. I know you don't understand, but remember who I am. This morning, God wants to invite you to do that can I invite you to bow your head and close your eyes for a moment as we get ready to close this morning? And and I wonder if right now you're not thinking of a moment like this, a moment of loss, of grief, of tragedy. And you still don't understand why God didn't do what God didn't do or why he did what he did. And just like Mary and Martha, you cry out and say, if you'd been here, if you'd only, And Jesus steps into that moment of your life and says, Hey, trust me with that moment. Trust my tears. Trust my heart. Trust my love for you. Even above your understanding or your lack of understanding. Maybe you need to do that with the loss of a friend. Or a parent. Or a child this morning. Jesus invites you not just to believe his promise, but to see his tears, to see his love, and to trust who he is even when your understanding fails. Father God, we thank you for your word this morning. Lord. As each of us walks through moments like this, help us to see you for who you are. Help us to grab hold of who you are, not just an understanding about how you work. We pray for that this morning. and We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand, church?